Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 27 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Monday, November 10th, 2014. If you notice a bit of quality difference in this episode than normal, that's because I'm traveling on business and I'm recording this in my hotel room on my MacBook Pro's built-in microphone rather than on my normal Blue Yeti mic. I still wanted to get this recorded and out on schedule, so I'm giving this a shot. In my sample recordings, it didn't sound too bad, so I'm giving it a go. This should give you an idea, though, of how little you actually need to do a podcast or a YouTube recording, and that you could be out there producing content if you were so led to do so. Today, I want to talk about a few questions that I found while looking on the internet. The first one is, I work at McDonald's, but I want to be a professional programmer. Is that possible? The short answer to this is, of course. There are several routes that could make this work. First of all, nothing is excluded here. You could work at McDonald's on whatever shift you're on and take classes online or off hours from your shift. From there, you could go the very quote-unquote traditional way and become a programmer that way. However, if you're a longer listener to this podcast, you know that I don't think that college is the best way to become a programmer these days. Back in episode 15, I talked about alternatives to college to become a programmer. In my own story, I didn't work at McDonald's, but I had a job for a bank that paid a very few dollars an hour above minimum wage. What did I do to learn? This was the late 90s, but I read a lot of books and I wrote a lot of code. Today, there are many more options to actually learn the skill of coding. I mentioned before that I've done some work over at Dimecasts.net. There are about 200 or so videos about .NET technologies over there, and the ones that I've done, 11 to date, have all been about programming for iOS. I'm going to do a few more iOS videos and do some Android ones as well. I have so much that I want to produce and a limited amount of time to produce it uh, because Dimecasts are a labor of love for me and the videos to earn me a penny. But that's a good place to go to check out and learn some things for free. You can also check out more formalized computer science classes at Udemy, Udacity, and other online programs. You won't get a degree from those, but you will still learn the formal concepts that you might be missing from self-study. You can also find lots and lots of folks who produce videos for YouTube that make their content available for free. There are varying qualities, but if you just search for your topic and tutorial, you'll find them. Angular tutorial, or Objective-C tutorial, or Web API tutorial. They're all there and much, much more. Another choice if you want to spend a few dollars, there's sites like nsscreencast.com at $9 per month, or watchmecode.net, $14 a month, or Pluralsight, $29 a month, or many others. Even if you're working a minimum wage job, basically an hour of your pay for something like NS Screencast, a little more than an hour, is totally worth it and something you should consider doing to invest in yourself. It's certainly a lot cheaper than going to college. Several of those sites also have some of their older content available for free, so you can get a feel for the kinds of content that they put out. Even if it's older, though, you can get a heck of a foundation for free from that content. Sites like Code Academy are totally free. Local meetups that you can find on meetup.com are free, and another great way to learn and to meet people. From your very first day, though, you need to produce code. You also need to produce that code in public. Get a GitHub account and commit daily. Make simple little projects and share them on GitHub. Make them more and more complex the more that you learn. Even better would be if you got a blog, free at Blogspot or WordPress, or even custom hosting it, and share your journey with others. People like Iris Klassen over at irisklassen.com have done just this. Iris was a fitness instructor and worked on learning how to code from available resources. 
She worked hard, and within an amazingly small amount of time, she was a professional programmer and is now a Microsoft MVP and a Pluralsight author. She's an inspiration to people who want to start in this industry. I'm actually kind of jealous of her success, and I wish that I had her drive and determination because I know I'd go a long way to following her. It's people like her that push me to be more than I am today. Once you start learning and you've built up a public presence with your code and your blogging, you've made contacts and gotten yourself out there, you'll find that you can start to be able to interview for jobs. You may even find people that start to encourage you to apply for jobs. You won't have professional experience to point to, but your GitHub and your blog will document exactly what you've learned and will demonstrate that you know what you're talking about. But what should you learn? What should you try to follow? Personally, I'd probably start with web development. I would learn the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and a library like Angular or Ember. Then I would learn a web framework that can also be used to make APIs like Ruby or Node or ASP.NET MVC and Web API. From there, I would also learn a thing or two about persistence, read databases of some sort, whether that's SQL, NoSQL, what have you, and persistence layers. If you really want, you could start at mobile, but if you're just trying to find a job the fastest way, I'd really pursue life as a web dev, branching into mobile after. There are still some jobs in fat client work, but I don't think that's the future and you shouldn't get off on the wrong foot. I found another question, though, that kind of relates to this one, and it's, what differentiates a programmer and a really good programmer? How is the code considered good or bad? Those are actually two different questions. To me, an average or below average programmer stops learning and rests on their laurels. That's what connects these two questions for me. The above average programmer is always going to be learning and is always going to try to do more and learn more. That's how you're going to stay employable. There's more than that, though. A good programmer is a professional programmer. This is something else that can tie over from the last question. Don't overlook your employment history, no matter what it was. If a person is a crap employee at McDonald's, they'll be a crap employee at other companies. Coming to work on time, presenting a good appearance, for whatever definition that means in your industry, following instructions, being a teammate, customer service, those all directly translate. Don't hesitate to remember the lessons that you learned at your first job. Too many programmers lack soft skills and can't deal with people. Those that cannot deal with people are usually capped at a level in their careers and can't rise above it. Or, except in rare circumstances, they'll fail if they're promoted too far. An above-average programmer also writes tested and testable code. That may look like a lot of different things to different people, and I'm certainly not dogmatic about the appearance there, but if the first time that code was tested is when a user sees it or when QA sees it, that's a problem. What about good code? What does that look like? That's also kind of a loaded question, but let me point out some things that are almost always true. Number one, good code is solid code. And by that, it's an acronym, I mean your code has a single responsibility per unit of code. It's open to extension but closed to modification. It follows the Liskov substitution principle, which basically means that you do object-oriented programming correctly with your inheritance. That it segregates its interfaces instead of creating these big monolithic interfaces, more OOP stuff. And it follows dependency inversions, meaning that it relies on abstractions of things instead of concrete things, which helps it be more testable. If you write code in that way, you'll be on a good start to write code that is easily maintained and extended in the future by another developer. And keep in mind that other developer can be you. You will be a different person when you come back to that code again, and you need to help future you out as much as any other developer. You also want it to be written in such a way that features and functionality can be added later. Not because you left a thousand hooks into the code and planned for everything, but because you wrote the code in a solid manner. Let's not forget this too. 
Good code is code that does what it was supposed to and no more. Good code is also shipped code. People have too much fun making solid code and they over-architect it and they never actually get anything done. There's a saying regarding products that if you aren't ashamed of your first version, you ship too late. It doesn't have to be a production shipment, a paid version, but you need to get code in front of people and you need to get feedback. Only then can code fulfill its destiny and accomplish what it was for, and that was to create software that meets real needs. That's it for our main topic. But my pick of the week this week is StackShare over at StackShare.io. With StackShare, you can discover what top companies are using and learn about the tech stack behind some of the world's best software companies. You can see which tools and services they use and how they use them. Why is this useful? I think it's perfectly useful and it's well suited to today's topic. If you want to get into programming and have a software career, what better way to know what to pursue tech-wise than to see what top companies, or maybe even specifically a company that you really want to work for, are using and then learn that. Or if you look at those, look at StackShare and you see a technology pop up over and over again, you should probably learn that one. That's it for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on Twitter as at PeteOnSoftware or on my blog, PeteOnSoftware.com. Thanks for listening this week, and I'll catch you next time.